The scripture reading today is from uh, Daniel chapter 7, 1 through 14, page 744. You probably want to open this one as Melvin's going through the sermon on this passage. It's Daniel's vision of the four beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked at its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The word of the Lord. Morning. I know what y'all are thinking. Daniel 7, really? One week before Christmas? Um, let me pray, and then we'll look at this together. All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, this text. And, and Father, we pray that we would uh, see Jesus, uh, Father. And, uh, and especially at this time of the year, uh, Lord, we would, you would help him see him as he is. Uh, not what we make him out to be, but who he really is. So come at our time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me make my case. All right. So, um, so some years ago, I had the opportunity to visit some missionaries in Perth, Australia, Western Australia, and um, and uh, my missionary friend, she she uh, she has been gifted 
uh, she, uh, to, uh, as a conceptual artist. And she was leveraging her artwork to be the means by which she was to be able to communicate the gospel. Now, I, I didn't know this at the time, and, and I was surprised to find out that Australia is incredibly secular. Only 20% attend church, and that includes those who would attend church maybe one, once a month. And, and so it's a very, what we would say, very postmodern, very secular, post-Christian uh, culture. Um, and she was struggling to find a way. She was ministering at, uh, on the campus of Curtin University at that time uh, to, her, uh, to one of her professors. And, and she was trying to find a way of being able to communicate the gospel to this lady. And my friend comes across her husband, circa 1863, family Bible. Falling apart from years and years, decades, century and a half worth of use. Uh, but gilt-edged, beautiful. Uh, the leather is worn out. And, and, she, and she asked the question, how can I take something that I treasure, that I love, and make this something that someone else, this professor that she had in mind, that she would treasure and love? And my friend proceeds, this Bible's falling apart, proceeds to pull apart hang on a second, the, 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 this old Bible. She pulls it apart into one-inch squares, especially the book of Genesis. And then she takes that whole book, one-inch squares, weaves it together with the silk fibers into a 20-foot cloth. It's known as the Genesis cloth. You can actually see pictures of it. Um, and she puts it in the hands of this professor. And a professor says this. She said, I would have never in a million years have picked up the Bible. But now that you've presented it to me in this way, I want to read every word of it. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, I think as you enter the Christmas season, I think that if, if there is one aspect of, of, of Christianity, I, I, Christmas is one of those seasons where the problem is not that we are uninformed, but it is that we are unimpressed. There are many pictures that we have, and they're sweet pictures, and they're not wrong. But sometimes, and very often, it feels like these pictures that we have seem really inadequate for the harsh realities of life. And then... And of course, then you have the myriad of other images that bombard us. Don't get me started on the new nativity movie. Um, and, and the question is, is that enough? And so what I want to put before you this morning is another picture, another vision, something else for you and I to look at. And that's this passage that we have here in Daniel chapter 7. Because Daniel chapter 7 is, is, is about a story of an advent. The advent of, as you see in your Bibles in verses 13 and 14, described as the coming of the Son of Man. And I want us to look at this not so much in terms of how we often come, whenever we come across this passage, which is what we call an apocalyptic Vision, apocalyptic just simply means revelation. Um, how often we come across this, we, we are basically looking 
for, as something that we need to decipher, to, to unlock. But we forget that first and foremost, this is actually a vision, a vista, a picture, something to look at, something to see, something to behold. And so that's my invitation to you this morning. And I think to, to look at this not like an art critic, but to look at someone who comes across a picture who stands about 20 feet away and is looking at this and saying, what, what am I looking at? And I think you can see that there are definitely there are, there are, there are three aspects to this picture. First, you can see that the first are these earthly kingdoms. Uh, they're represented by these four beasts. But in, in contrast to that, you have this heavenly kingdom. Described here in terms of the ancient of days. But then you also have this third aspect to this picture. And that is this idea of, the, the, this picture of the one who looks like the son of man. And we're going to call this the picture of the warrior king of God's kingdom who comes. So let's look at this picture. And then we'll, we'll, we'll close our time by seeing how this relates to Christmas and this, and, and, and this time of this season. So if you're looking at this passage, you can see that the story, that, that, that the vision begins. It begins with Daniel seeing these beasts that come out of the sea. Now, if you've been with us in any time this past semester, when we come across uh, any of the stories that we have in the Gospels, whenever you come across Jesus calming the sea or, or Jesus in the boat, the, the sea is always in the Hebrew mind, in the Jewish mind, a place of chaos, of unrest. And so when you see these waters being stirred up and you see these beasts rising up out of, the, out, of, out, 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 out of the sea, you know that these are not tame animals. There is a wildness. There is a ragingness to it. This is actually the opposite of, what's hap of, of what we have described in Genesis chapter 1. Because in Genesis chapter 1, you have waters that are actually being tamed that are brought under God's control and then you have a beautiful ordered creation that comes into existence well this is exactly the opposite what you have here is you have these seas that are raging and chaotic that produce these beasts that are raging and then you have these beasts you notice that they're all predatory beasts, right? You have a lion, you have a bear, and then you have a leopard. And you, 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 have the, you have these pictures, but they're not animals that you would come across in a zoo. And they all look like animals that, you know, like maybe, you know, some had a genetic mishap or something like that, right? You've got lions with wings, you've got bears that's a little bit, that's one side is bigger than the other, and then you have like a leopard that's got four heads on it. it, it they all look twisted. They all look distorted. They look like the real thing, but they are not. And when we look at these pictures, they, what, what, what the Bible is telling us is that Christians are not naive about the earthly kingdoms of this world. We expect them to function in a certain way, but don't expect them to. There is always some twistedness, some distortion. You, 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 you search for life 
and you find death. And, this, and, and we're not having to talk about just global or global affairs or national. We can even think about it on a personal level individually as well. This is what this earthly world is characterized by. We look for fidelity and we find broken promises. We look for health and we find sickness. And what the Bible is saying is, is that is the way that earthly kingdoms function. Notice that how the bear is, is all about just gorging itself. It's got three ribs sticking out of his mouth and it's still stuffing like more and more. Right? You, have a, you, have, you, have a, you have a leopard that's sort of this almost frantic, frenzied activity. Right? All of that, you can probably find some counterpoint to your life and my life. We are called consumers for a reason. And is our lives characterized by often sort of these frantic, frenzied activity, like as if we cannot stop? So what the Bible is saying and what Daniel's vision is telling us is that is the picture that we are given of what these earthly kingdoms are characterized by. But if that's, that's not the only thing that he sees. Notice what he says. He says, I kept looking. Right in verse 9, he says, I kept looking. And what did I see is I saw this other almost complete opposite of this other vision. Right? You have the beasts, right? Just like, you know, he's like, oh, he says, I, this looks like a lion. This looks like a bear. Looks like the leopard. And then, of course, when he gets to the fourth beast, he's like, ah, there's nothing in the animal kingdom that looks like that. Right? Essentially, he's run out of, he's run out of comparisons. But... But when he looks at, but, 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 but when his vision is transferred, the, what he sees in the, in the picture now moves on to the, the, the heavenly vision, that comes out clearly. You see what is characterized as the ancient of days. And notice that this is a man. He's dressed in white and he's got, he's, it, it's clear like this is completely opposite. All of these other kingdoms are, beast, are, are bestial. This is a man. It's pure. There is a a settledness to it. It's not frantic or frenzied. It is eternal. Notice that the other beasts are being acted upon. The lion is made to stand. The bear is told to eat. The leopard is given wings. But not the ancient of days. The ancient of days rules by right. Eternal, not for a time, but forever. And that is the picture that, that, that is given. It's, you have this idea of these, you know, you're running, what, what, what does he mean by, by these wheels that, 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 that are on, and the fire. The, that's imagery in the Old Testament, always for that symbolic of the presence of God. Think about the movable tabernacle that the Israelites had in the wilderness. And in, that, and, and in that picture, what always led every charge into battle? It was the ark. It was that which was, that, that, very, that symbolized the very presence of God. He was in the front. That's the picture that you have here, is you have a counterpoint in the heavenly world, in the heavenly realm, the really real of a God who is reigning right now. That's the, that, and, and you have this amazing picture of this courtroom that's open and his judgment is completely just. There is nothing about his judgment or what he does that is unjust. 
there is no stain on this, on, on, on this ancient of days. And in ancient of days, that term does not represent sort of senility. It's, it's, a, it's, it's one of nobility. It, it, it is one who, who draws and demands our worship, our honor. And that's what you see in the picture in this throne room scene in heaven. But you haven't gone far enough if that's where we stop. Right? Because you have, in verses 11 through 14, you have the description. You have this defeat. Right? And you actually see the defeat before you see the one who defeats him. You see the victory before you see the victor. You know, it's kind of like the old westerns. You know, remember the old westerns when you have like the, 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 the bad guy who's like walking down the middle of the street. You know, he's, like, he's walking down. He's like, and he's like, oh, you get up. You know, all that. You know, he's kind of doing all that. And he's like mouthing off. And then suddenly, it like, boom, he gets blown away. And then you're like, what happened? What happened? Right? Because it's dust and smoke. And you see, you see him fall, but you don't see who shot him. Right? That's the picture here. Right? You see the defeat. And then you're looking around. And then you see in verse 13... You see the one who comes and is described as the Son of Man. And that term is an incredible term because it is the term that Jesus uses more than any other term in the New Testament. 81 times whenever Jesus refers to himself, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And and, you know, when you think about that, it often seems like, wow, it's just, you know, like a, just a son of man, right? And that is not the point, right? The, 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 every time when Jesus uses the, 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 that term, he's making a reference to Daniel chapter 7, right? And that's why whenever Jesus says it, you, and you can, you can and if, if, if you did a study of all of the different contexts whenever Jesus says it, it always is always within the context of two things. It always has to do with his suffering, and, all, and he's always talking about his kingdom. What do you have here in Daniel 7? You have Daniel who's in exile, who's suffering. And what does he see? A picture of the Son of Man about his kingdom. It's the same thing. Except in the New Testament, it's not Daniel, it's not someone who sees the Son of Man. It's one who comes in history and says, I am the Son of Man. And that's why in the New Testament, it is never, there's no doubt um, to the people around him in some ways. Right? The, a, 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 an example of this is in, in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus is standing before Caiaphas and, 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 they're, and they're asking him, tell us who you are. And he says, you, and you will, and he says, you will see the son, of, the, the, the son of man sitting at the right hand coming on the clouds of heaven. Right? Caiaphas doesn't look around and says, oh, I wonder what this guy's talking about. Right? He immediately knew that Jesus was making a claim to Daniel 7 and he immediately, Jesus is judged for blasphemy there wasn't there wasn't any question about it and so every time you come across that term know that it is pointing back to this and that Jesus came to that Jesus came to defeat Jesus came to destroy now you are probably asking well why are we talking about this at Christmas time some years ago many years ago I remember listening to a lecture from Dr. Knox Chamberlain. He was a testament professor at RTS, taught less, taught a number of people who went through that seminary. I remember Dr. Chamberlain 
talking about the Luke chapter 2 story about the angels showing up to the shepherds. You all know the story. That's when all the story. We're not, in, we're not uninformed, right? So you remember that, right? While shepherds wash their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, you know, all that, right? You know it, right? And what happens, right? Remember Dr. Knox Chamberlain says, like, asking the question, who do you imagine shows up on that, out, out there in the country, on the countryside, to the shepherds, right? You have the angel that shows up and says, you know, today that today he's born in Bethlehem, a savior who's Christ the Lord, and you will find him wrapped in the cross, riding a manger. And then suddenly what happens? This angel shows up. But in Luke chapter 2, you know how it's described? It's described as the heavenly host. What does that word host mean? The word host in the Bible is always a military term. It's a reference to God's army. God did not dispatch a group of choral singers. God did, not discharge, God, God did not discharge his best singers. God sent his best soldiers. Why? Because what was happening on that day, what we celebrate, called Christmas, is the beginning of the end, is the destruction of the beast. It's the coming of the Son of Man. That's where it starts. Heaven knew it. Heaven knew it. And that's why whenever they cry out glory to God in the highest, you can think of it more like a, you know, a war cry. Right? A song that you sing because it's about to begin. Is that your vision? Is that your picture? Of Christmas? Now, that battle begins with a baby in a manger, born in, born in relative obscurity, growing up in backwoods Nazareth. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Did not come to be served. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At, the, at his birth, you have God's best army showing up, heaven singing glory to God. You know who does Jesus have at the end before he goes to a cross? A group of Roman thugs pretending to be a Roman army smooshing a crown of thorns on his head, telling us, saying, prophesy, O Christ, hail, King of the Jews. And then he goes to a cross, and he dies. That's the Son of Man. But make no mistake, Daniel, see, Daniel 7 ceases as a destruction of sin, of death, of frantic, fervor, bestial, all of those things that we look at, that the twistedness, the distortion that we see all around us, is the beginning of the end of that. That's what Daniel 7 tells us. 
My invitation to you this morning is to make that your vision of Christmas. My invitation to you this morning is to go back to Daniel 7. And if you only see the twisted brokenness of the world, you haven't looked far enough. Keep looking. See the one who reigns and rules right now, the sovereignty. But don't even stop there. Keep looking. Look to not only the heavenly rule, but to look to the one who descended, who came into our world as a son of man. When you arrive at Jesus, that's when you see Christmas. Let me close with this illustration. And forgive me if I've used it before. Uh, it's the story of one of my favorite missionaries, John Payton, who went as a missionary to the New Hebrides. But John Payton, in, when he went to the New Hebrides, before 48 years before he went, another two missionaries went from the Scottish Missionary Society, James Williams and John, John Williams and James Harris, two missionaries, went to the island of modern-day Vanuatu. They were killed and eaten by cannibals within 12 minutes of going ashore on those islands. Bistro? 48 years later, John Payton goes to the same islands. And he writes in his journal when he goes, Thus these islands were baptized with the blood of the martyrs, and God thereby told the whole Christian world that he had claimed these islands as his own. That's what John Payton saw. That's what he saw. That was his vision. And that's why he went. And today, 50% of those islands claim to be Christian, about 25%, 25-30% claim to be evangelical Christians. From cannibalism to that. My prayer to you this morning, and and I, I was sharing with this with someone else earlier this week, but I, I don't know if you've ever, whenever you come across a Christmas story, you know, you always find people who are wondering, people who are asking, how can this be? Have you ever noticed that a lot of people are asking the question, not just, not before they find out, but even after they find out, right? After they find out, right? They go, they see the baby, they come back, like, how can this be, right? They, Mary's like, Mary hears these people praising, and they're like, and she's wondering, how can this be? Simeon asked the question, how can this be? Everybody's asking, how can this be? Not, and, and I think that is by design. In some ways, we are meant to sit with the how can this be-ness of Christmas. There is some sense about that that comes, that it needs to be seen, and then we stop. <laughs> that we are left wondering. And that is good for us. So again, who is Jesus at Christmas? He's the Son of Man. And he has come down to you and to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, this amazing picture, vision that you've given us. Father, we uh, we. Uh, forgive us for making sometimes Christmas figments of our own making, a Jesus of our own imagination, rather than the pictures that you have given us. 
And I pray, Father, for each and every person in this room this morning, that this would be that Christmas, that we would see Jesus, not, not just as an idea or as a concept, but that we would truly see. And maybe, maybe as we wonder, as we ask, how can this be, that that, can, that, that is actually for our good, for your kingdom, for the growth of your church, and Lord, for the glory of Christ. It's in his name that we pray.